introduce a little anarchy. Upset the established order, and everything becomes chaos. Trapped in Austin Podcast. Hey, John. Yo, Chris, what is up? <laughs> What's up, man? Hey, again, I appreciate you doing the show, dude. Yeah, I'm um, honored to be on. I think it's really cool. Yeah, yeah, I've been doing this for a few years now. It kind of just started off as just me and a buddy of mine kind of fucking around, and then it kind of segued into me doing interviews. I kind of wish I had like big or like kind of a bigger infrastructure to actually do kind of the stuff in person, but um, yeah, man, it's just kind of... It's hard sometimes, dude. People are busy. So sometimes the remote yeah. way is just easier to do it than having to – I don't have enough like social equity to tell someone like, hey, come come meet me somewhere in a studio and sit down with me for two hours. Like a lot of people – unless you're like really famous or have like a fuck ton of followers, most people aren't going to do that. So, Yeah, I mean honestly, I probably would. I, I, I love meeting new people and like – yeah. <clears throat> You know, just chatting and stuff. No, for sure. I mean, that's my goal ultimately one day is I would like to get a studio and shit, but I, I'm still trying to kind of build this up to where, um, mm-hmm. you know, I could probably do that one day. Yeah, but, that's awesome. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so before we kind of dive into Revent and, uh, you know, your entrepreneurial side, I, I kind of want to hear more just about you as a person and kind of how, like, where you grew up and, and kind of how you got into construction. Yeah, so um, I was born and raised in uh, White Plains, New York. So that's like 20 miles upstate of Manhattan. Um, and actually, um, kind of crazy, when I was five, <clears throat> my dad was about 25. My parents had me young. He broke his neck. <clears throat> so he was in a wheelchair paralyzed from the neck down. That's pretty much only how I know my dad. And then by the time I was dead, um, <clears throat> by the time I was 10, he died of complications. So like very early in life, I feel like I was just like punched right in the gut and life was like, what the fuck are you going to do about it? And I remember the exact thought of like, just like, you know, I knew I was getting the news. Like my dad was in a coma. My mom came to pick me up from school and I was like, this is it. This is like the worst fucking moment. This is what like I've had nightmares about. And this is like everyone's like worst case scenario. And like in that moment, I was like, damn, but like, there isn't some like pit of hell that opened up and like sucked me down into it. You know, it was like, I was like, shit, like, you know, this sucks, but like, you know, like I'm fine. Like I'm safe. Like, you know, and obviously there's a lot of like things that have been tough because of that. But like in that moment, it was almost like I realized that like, there's not much to like actually fear. Like a lot of the shit that we fear is kind of made up. Right. And I'm like, you know, it made me like, think about like being afraid to ask a question or being afraid to go against the mold or like being afraid of like menial failures in life. Like none of that shit fazed me, you know? So it was almost like it gave me the key to like unlock, like, you know, just going out and doing shit, you know? Yeah. No, that makes sense, man. Going through that kind of adversity at a really young age. I mean, I think to your point, when you experience that, it kind of makes the other things seem trivial, right? Where you're like, yeah. oh, if you go through something like that, like losing a parental figure or a family member or whatever the case may be, um, yeah, it makes the other stuff just seem kind of irrelevant, you know? And that's why, 
Yeah, I think it can make you fearless at a young age, you know? Yeah, it can, I think it can work both ways. Like, it can make you like, oh, shit, like, what if this happens again? This is horrible. Or like, so for me, it, 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 I really feel fortunate. Like, a lot of people are like, oh, I'm sorry. And I'm like, you know, it's just like, I don't know if I would, like, take it back. Like, the way that it's, like, given me so much, like, it's not even courage. It's just made everything so relative to me. You know, mm-hmm. it's just like, yeah, like what you miss out on that job opportunity. You don't make the sports team. Like you fail a class. Like all that shit is fucking bullshit. Like why? Why do we worry about that stuff? You know. I know. Yeah, that's uh, it's funny, man, that we're talking about this because I was having this. I was thinking about this like a couple days ago. It's like kind of just like the societal construct, especially like living in America we really are kind of conditioned to stay hyper-focused on these things that really don't matter in the grand scheme sometimes. And it's not even really our fault. I think we just kind of, especially guys like in our age group, like we grew up around just hyper-consumerism, advertising out the ass, like advertising really took off in the 80s. And so it's just like we we grew up, yeah. The internet was made like in our lifetime, as insane as that sounds. I know. know, it's fucking nuts, man. Um, one thing I did notice about you, so you did play, uh, D one football at rice. Yep. Mm-hmm. Talk to us a little bit about that and kind of what that experience was like. Okay. So this is kind of a good segue. It's like, what I did is like, since I was like, just balls to the walls. I mean, you know, I was always really big. Like when I was four, they thought I had giantism because I was like the same size as like, a, I was on 12 year old charts. So like. Just always like, you know, my dad was a huge athlete, got me into football and wrestling really young. So I feel like after my dad died, everyone was like so focused on that and broken and like, and maybe I wasn't getting like the the attention that I needed. So I was like, fuck this. I'm just going to like kill it in sports and get all these accolades. Right. So like, um, the best thing actually happened. My mom met my stepdad. We end up in Texas in Houston. Um, this is where football's king. You know, I'm on varsity as a freshman in, like, a massive high school, uh, Cinco Ranch, outside of Houston. I'm, you know, varsity wrestling, too. I end up being undefeated, unscored upon heavyweight state champ in wrestling. That all helps me in football. Um, Had a bunch of different opportunities for, like, way more academic schools, way more football schools. And then um, my wife, we met in eighth grade, right? So she ends up going to U of H. And I'm like, damn, like, I don't want to be separated from her. And, like, Rice is the best of both worlds. Um, So I went to Rice, full ride, um, started all four years there. Like, I was so obsessed with, like, my whole life, I thought I'd be a pro athlete. Like, I literally never thought about business. No one in my life is in construction or real estate or anything like that, like direct family. Um, But, you know, like... I got so burnt out on football. I was like, dude, I'm just over this. So after college, I didn't even try for the NFL. I was like, I'm going right to law school. So I went to law school after college. And at that same time, I started a real estate investment company in Houston with one of my teammates. Um, We started buying like low income housing, like in distressed areas, rehabbing them and renting them out. So this is where my love for like real estate and construction started growing while I was in law school. Um, I'm growing both at the same time. And then I got an opportunity to come to Austin to partner with like some heavy hitter, like multi multi multimillionaires. They wanted me to be the CEO 
of their home building company because I, you know, I've been learning all this general contracting and remodeling houses and I had my company and we kind of crossed paths. So instead of taking the bar, I went out to Austin for this opportunity. Um, okay. And that's basically, you know, like, um, where do you want to go from there? You want me to just keep going well, or to well, ask me questions? Yeah. So uh, like one thing I'll ask real quick is, so what year was this when you moved to Austin? When I moved to Austin was late 2016. Okay, like, so you you've been here a little while then. Yeah. Um. So just to recap really quick, you skipped the bar. So while you're in law school, you're kind of growing this business on the side. Yeah. Okay. What was that like? Because one of the things that um, I kind of gathered just from you know kind of looking at your social media. Obviously, you're a family man, and you have kind of this growing, booming business right now with Revent. Am I saying that correctly? It's called Revent, right? Yeah, right. Okay. It's like an abbreviation of Revent. Yeah. So obviously, man, you're really good, I would assume here, and maybe I'm wrong. You're obviously, you know how to manage your time well. And it seems like, I mean, and you probably would agree with me on this. It's like everything is like kind of a balancing act, right? It's like work and play and family. Yes. Um, so you kind of started doing that young, it seems like. And so that's probably really helped you out, I would assume, kind of in your entrepreneurial journey. Because I could imagine being in law school and having a business uh, simultaneously. And, uh, that was know, probably yeah, hard. Like, you know, having a, a kid at the end of law school, like my last year in law school, I had a baby too. So um, honestly, man, like I, I like to tell people like I'm not doing anything special. Like what I am better at than time management, like obviously I'm never late. I'm like very punctual. I don't waste people's time. But like what I am better at than managing time is focusing on the most important things that will give me like the biggest result. Right. Like and honestly, when this is like when I linked up with uh, came to Austin, Gary Keller of Keller Williams was a 51 percent partner in this company. And, you know, he has this book, The One Thing. And that's where, like, like we kind of linked up, and I was just like, damn, like, I've kind of been doing this my whole life, because think about it, like, my childhood, you know, shit is just so fucking chaotic, like, 24-7, and, like, it was like, it, you know, I have, like, super high ADD, I'm on, like, Adderall in, like, sixth grade, but, like, all of that stuff played into, like, where I could just pick up the balls that I needed, and then drop them, instead of, like, just focusing on everything and I know all these people that make like massive to-do lists and like their whole day is structured like I'm not really like that if anything mm -hmm. I cut off the fat and I cut corners and I find the quickest paths to what's going to make me like the most successful yeah yeah and that no I think that's solid advice man because I do think some people um, you know, I've even experienced this before. I think sometimes you see people, especially on the internet that maybe you don't know very well. And you're like, how do they do all this? Like, how do they yeah. manage all of this and get all this done? So I think that's, that's really insightful, man, for sure. Um, well, I appreciate that. And I think another thing that like, I think I'm really good at is like, um, I just kind of like, I don't really focus on any other person. Like I'll see people and get envious, like all of us, but like, I'm always just like super like hyper focused at what I'm doing in the moment. So like, I think a lot of people, it's funny. They'll like, look at what I'm doing now. They'll like, as you're listing off all this shit, I'm like, holy fuck, I have a lot going on, but it doesn't start that way. Like 
it's just like anything. Like when when you start juggling, you're juggling like two bowling pins. Then you're learning more and more, and by the time you're like juggling like ten bowling pins at one time, but you you get it because you started with two. Everyone's like looking to be like get to thirteen, and it's like, dude, like you got to start taking a first step. Not like you're not gonna climb the mountain tomorrow, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How um. So you moved to Austin and you're partnering with this other company at the time. And, and what's how, how, give me sort of the story from there and then how you got into Revent. Okay. So I moved to Austin. Uh, the Houston investment company is going great. Like at this time, I've, you know, I've remodeled probably 20 homes, like for our rentals. I did my own personal home in Houston. I had a couple clients, like, in Houston. So like, I'm feeling a little comfortable. I don't know jack shit really compared to like what I know now. Right. I'm just faking till I make it and just by my own like will and persistence, like getting it done. So then I come to Austin and my first project, we find like a rehab on like a commercial quadplex. So there's four different units. They're all stacked next to each other. Um, the permitting is four different permits. It's like the most insane project. I'm just thrown in the fire. Um, I do stuff like that. We were buying all these lots in like really desirable areas like Terrytown. I'm doing like a flip a month at the same time. Um, so it's like, but this is all on someone else's dime. It's like okay. incredible because I was absolutely fearless. I learned everything and anything. And what's crazy is that first quadplex, my plumber, my HVAC, my electric, my welder and my framers, they're all still with me, man. So it was like so incredible, right? And like, I think this is my big break. I'm like, holy shit, like, you know, I own 10% of this company. We're gonna fucking dick with the world. Dude, in less than a year, at, at this point, I bought a house for double the price of my Houston house with my wife, my six month old child, and her sister living with me. Within a year, our biggest investor, was like we're looking at global data the austin market's gonna crash this was in like a plateau in the austin market in like 2017 we're selling everything and i'm like fuck so i'm literally out of a job and i think i'm like a failure i'm like i just fucking moved from houston i skipped out of my law career like what the fuck am i doing but during the whole time that i was doing work and posting on my social and stuff all of these people were like mostly friends and like friends of friends like hey come remodel my kitchen and my bathroom and i'm telling them like you know i'm not set up for that like we're doing these big projects like for investments like so then when we we winded everything down and sold everything i'm literally out of like a main source of income because the investment company just keeps feeding itself i go back to each and every one of those people um i started revent and i started i think my first project for a client in Austin was like a $5,000 master bathroom. And for like, just the sake of argument, like we, our bathrooms start at like 120 now. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, and then it just all fucking snowballed. And I, I started doing bigger and bigger projects. I was like, made it like a huge point. Like my kind of motto was like a hundred percent satisfaction, a hundred percent of the time. So like, just overly communicative everyone was so happy i got amazing reviews and i kept meeting different architects and designers and you know we would we would do like our first whole home was like 
250k um and we ended up winning a local award in the national association of the remodeling industry and then that opened doors and like it just all kept snowballing yeah damn man that's wild isn't it crazy how like pe- like the pieces fall into play sometimes like with stuff like that because it's just it sounds like what you know you just kind of life's funny like that like you just kind of keep your head down and work and it's like sometimes things just come to you like the opportunities come especially if you're talented you know or people see that you work hard or they like you as a person you know like that stuff just yeah. goes such a long way in business it's but, actually a complete mind fuck dude i bet because, i bet like yeah and what my mantra is like is like whatever situation i'm in there's always a path forward there's always a path forward what I think has really, really helped me is like bringing back all my childhood and like my kind of like lack of worry and fear of like to quote unquote fail. I'm also like an opportunist. When I see something, I will be the first person to snatch it. You know what I mean? Like the best seat in this area or like everyone's going right. That's crowded. Like I'll, I'll go left. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I immediately like jump on things. So what I think is like, you know, like I just finished law school. Like most people would be like, Oh, I need to like go be a lawyer. I'm like, Oh shit. I have this crazy opportunity to go to Austin. Like I could be a fucking lawyer. I can take the bar whenever I want. Right. So I just jumped on it, you know? Yeah. And then it's like, you know, I was even thinking like, should I just move back to Houston after everything wound down? I'm like, no way. I love this. Like, let me just jump right in again. You know what I mean? Um, and that has always like really played out for me. Yeah. Um, let's talk about your social media presence really quick. So when did that kind of start to, cause I, one thing I, one thing I really noticed about you real, you're real savvy with the social media stuff, which I really respect by the way, cause that's really kind of how the game is played now, as you know, and how much of that has factored into you getting business and when did that kind of start to, when, when did that shift happen for you where you kind of noticed like, hey, this is starting to grow. I'm getting a lot of kind of uh, traction on Instagram. Like talk to me a little bit about your social media presence and how that played into your business. Yeah. So let's just go back to like, you know, in like, let's call it like 2012, 2013. That's when I started my real estate investment company in like 20, late 2013. That's when I remodeled my personal home. I was putting everything on Facebook. That was like my thing. I was like, everyone's on Facebook. I quickly got to like 5,000 friends and that was the limit, right? Mm-hmm. Then Instagram came out and I was like, oh, like, you know, I, I have all this shit on Facebook. Like, why would I leave this platform, you know? Um, then like shortly after, like maybe a year or two, Facebook just starts getting like, I'm like, okay, this is going nowhere. I can only, I'm capped at 5,000. I have a great network. It's like definitely helping me out in a lot of different ways. But like, I just hated the culture. I hated the like politics. It was like, then I'm like, okay, this shit is like for old people. I need to jump on IT. So I was a little yeah. late to the Instagram game. Um, but a bunch of my Facebook people came over. So I had like at least a few thousand followers on Instagram. Um, as I'm posting more and more, this is probably in like, like right about when I'm moving to Austin, honestly, is like when I started really getting more into Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, I'm working so fucking hard. Like it was only me. I didn't have a project manager. It was me managing jobs. I did the sales. I did the project management. I did the estimates. Like it was only me. So like I didn't have the liberty to like really post all that stuff. And like I was kind of like, eh, like 
I need to actually work. I need to survive, right? Yeah. So as I was getting um, more and more, like, recognition, and, like, I'm like, damn, like, you know, people really like our project. We're winning awards. Like, I need to market myself rather than, like, you know, I'm on, like, these services like Yelp and Angie's List, and I'm like, dude, I'm like, bring, people are finding me there. They need to be finding me through, like, my socials and my website. So... Then I started really leaning in. Let's say this is like 2017, 2018. And followers just started organically growing. Um, the most massive turning point for me was when I met my videographer. And this is actually insane because he put an ad on Austin Jobs. Not like an ad, just like a, a like, hey, does any other videographers want to collaborate in Austin? I'm, I'm new i just moved here from minnesota and i'm like i go into this like austin jobs thread on reddit i look at some of his work i'm like damn this guy's like pretty talented and i was like hey man i have all these cool projects and like i don't have the time to like film it all like can i just hire you like hourly and we end up linking up um over the next course of a year this is like yeah 20 up up from like 2019 to 2020 we just start like, dude, I'm, I'm paying him. Like we're putting out like <clears throat> at least a video every other week. Like we're really liking each other. We're finding our style. And then this motherfucker, like basically is like, look, dude, like he's now started his freelancing career. So he's like hustling, like trying to make ends meet. He, his wife's pregnant. He's new from Minnesota. I was referring him to all these friends. It was awesome. And then like, basically at the end of a year of us working together, he was like, look, man, this is what I've made, like hustling my balls off. I'm going to write you like a business proposal to hire me full time for this amount. And he did. And it was just like genius. And then I hired him on full time. Ever since I made that choice, my Instagram, like we're full on YouTube has like been exploding. Right. I bet. Um, yeah. And then now was like, this standout project, the modern Victorian, it's not like a bunch of people are following me. I'm starting to actually see the like exponential growth of like more followers. Like when I first met up with Derek, my videographer, like a year and a half ago, I only had like 6,000 followers. So now I have like 23,000. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think it's been pretty rapid just in like the year, year and a half. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I meant to, I wanted to ask you about the videographer, videographer stuff, but I didn't, I didn't know if you wanted to give your secret sauce away or not. Cause I think that's really, yeah, it's funny, man. I really think that's kind of what you need. If you're an entrepreneur and you have the extra, you know, capital to invest in someone that is so crucial in my opinion. Like I, I really think that that's, I mean, obviously like, I think the sky's the limit for you in regards to this industry and you definitely have the personality for it. But I think that some people, they don't realize like how vital it is to like, really, you got to be on, you really got to be on social and making these videos and showing people. Cause that's really, everybody's on their phones all fucking day anyway. You know, that's yeah. the most grassroots way of, of advertising now. And, uh, and there's like, I feel like for everyone, me too, it's like, you just get this feeling of like, Oh man, like, like, do I have to be this big of a narcissist? Like, do I have to like, like, I already have a full-time job. Now I need another full-time job for yeah. my socials and for this and that. It's like, no, just like be yourself. Like 
if anything, it, it's also you're connecting with all your friends and family and you're just like putting out in the world what you do. And then you're also engaging with them. Right. And I think for some people, it's just like a huge hurdle of like, they don't want to adopt the technology, but then like I yeah. reminded myself like, man, if I jumped on IG, like when it first started, I'd probably be like way, way ahead of where I am. So like now like TikTok's here and all this shit. And I'm like, God damn it. It's hard to keep up, but I need to make myself relevant. And the other thing is a bunch of my competitors, they're all referrals. They're all word of mouth. Like as all of these like boomers are kind of aging out and like millennials and technology era is like coming into play and buying houses they're like finding people online like that that's the only way we can really like represent ourselves right like yeah how do i show someone a house yeah um one thing i was going to ask you really quick sorry dude i'll edit this part out i drew a blank real fast uh oh that's okay oh oh i know what i was going to ask you what's your videographer's name again uh, Derek Clark. Derek. So Derek Clark does creation. he, does he, I know he films everything, but I'm also assuming that he manages all of it for you as well, as far as the editing, getting it uploaded to your socials. Like, yeah. does he handle all of that? Like he manages the everything. YouTube page. Okay. Everything. That's so we, awesome, um, dude. We work on concepts together. Like, like he'll help me brainstorm. We'll come up with like ideas, but what's so cool about him is he's like, he loves, like he wants to get better in his career. And he's like, dude, like, how about I multiply you like 20,000 times? And, and I never say no. Or he's like, I'm going to make you drop out of the sky as like a superhero. And I think that like puts so much like flair and pizzazz into this like industry that's normally so boring. And then get yeah. this, how crazy this is. Since we dove into YouTube, I've had two different production companies with TV reach out to me um, because they love our videos and they found us like, you know, they have these like uh, talent scouts, right? Yeah. I fucking signed up with a production company. We filmed with them for like two weeks. I'm like one week away from getting approval of having our own show on like a major network. Wow. That's awesome, man. Dude, That's fucking you. dope. Like, I was just like, damn, like all because like my videographer helped me get the balls to like really fucking put out content and like stop being self-conscious and like he really helped me believe in myself and then like since he's put it out in such a professional way like it's gotten me noticed by like all these different production companies and like you know i have clients now finally and the first time in my life like at least on instagram there's people that are inquiring you know they might not be the right type of client but they're seeing me in multiple places we're doing tons of seo like just with our website so people might see us there in Google ads and then they get on Instagram and see another way. And it's like, they're just seeing me from all angles, you know, mm -hmm. how much, and you, you don't have to tell me this. I'm just kind of curious. Cause I do think there's a lot of misconceptions. I think a lot of people, and I've even dealt with this before. I think some people think you got to have, you know, these really expensive rigs. You got to have all these different, you know, um, lighting components to do content and you got to have like really expensive cameras. I mean, how much of this sometimes is like you guys are just kind of improving and he'll pull out a phone and you guys just start fucking around recording on an iPhone? Well, like, dude, there's a lot of that, like, but it's like really just like getting one nice camera with like two different lenses. Um, Derek has like, he, he has like grown and like bought some really good lights to where like when we're doing interview style, he has that lit up. He's expanded and bought a drone and it's like, 
So we're actively doing this, right? But like, yeah. what he's really the best at is editing. And like, just looking at like his videos before, like, like when he just had his camera, they're fucking awesome because they're edited well, they're thought out, like, they're not just boring shit. Like, so in my opinion, if you're just like getting yourself in front of the camera and getting like, I used to literally just film for stories and use my hand to fucking narrate. And like, so many people were like, dude, this is awesome, you know? But like, why don't you put yourself in front of the camera? Yeah. Like, yeah, you don't need like, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of equipment. I just have one videographer with like, you know, obviously he's like a professional and he has like, a good amount of gear, I'd say probably like 10 K worth or maybe a little more, but like, you know, you can start much smaller with just one guy and like get it done. Or you could just hire someone that has all the equipment hourly and like yeah. put out a few videos, like test the waters. For sure. No, man, that's awesome. I think some people like, I think what happens is I, it's not so much like the filming part or the content. I think sometimes the editing is where people, yeah. I think, kind of get overwhelmed. And I, I've even dealt with that, where it's like, just managing a YouTube channel alone, and you probably know, already know this, but that's just, that's like a whole project in itself. Oh you know, God. so it's it's crazy, man. That's why, hey, listen, that's why, you know, this isn't for everyone. Like, that's why the people who are really good at it and are willing to put the money up, they, they can flourish in it. And some people just kind of, they get overwhelmed with it and they just don't even want to try, you know? If it was exactly. easy, everybody would like, do it, right? Know, honestly, he's a godsend because, like, I, it would just take me so long to, like, come up with the right captions and, like, to actually, like, schedule the post. So, like, he goes on IG, make sure that a video is out there. If I need to tweak the caption, I'll do that after he posts it. Um, but then, like, getting on a posting schedule on YouTube. Like, the other thing, too, is, like, dude, it's so frustrating because, in my opinion, like our YouTube is fucking gold. Like anyone that finds us new, they're like, this is incredible. It's the most underrated channel, but it's like, we're crawling, you know, we're finally getting to the point where like, you know, our views, like some of our more popular videos are in the like four to 7,000 view range, you know, but tons of them, they would only get like, you know, 50 to a hundred views. And like, you know, Derek just the other day, like sent me a video of a guy that, gave his whole journey on YouTube. He went nine months getting under 50 views on every video. And then in the next year after that, he made 600K on YouTube. So I'm like, we're just, I'm like, dude, any day one of these videos can pop. And like what it does, we have a whole base of content that people can like binge watch, you know? Yeah. No, that's a good point, man. All it takes is that one video that just goes viral and then people start paying attention to your page. Um, let's talk about the modern Victorian real quick, man. Obviously I know that you've been getting a lot of recognition lately for that house. Um, how did that come about, dude? I'd love to hear kind of the backstory with that and, and just kind of how that sort of came to fruition. Sure, man. Um, so I, I like, you know, my dad and I, when, when I was like really young, like we would watch every fucking horror movie. It was like, a like a family tradition. My uncle was super into horror movies. And like, so I just grew up like loving the dark, loving spooky shit, like loving monsters. And like, you know, as I got older, um, I didn't know it at the time, but like there was just something so like entrancing, like these haunted houses. I'm like, God, it just, that vibe is so fucking cool, you know? Mm -hmm. And then when I started like remodeling homes and, um, 
the very first home that I ever did, which is like, quote unquote, more high end, it's all relative. Like at the time it was like, was my first personal home in Houston. And like, I was like, oh my God, this is the best creative outlet. Like I have enjoyed this design portion so, so much. And I didn't realize that, right? So I start getting into home design and I'm watching horror movies and I'm like, holy fuck, look at that trim. Like, look at those windows. Like, look at that roof peak. You know, I'm just like, these houses are beautiful. And you know, a ton of them are Victorian, right? Mm -hmm. So then in Austin, like one of our, that first project that was uh, like that 250K remodel that we won the award on, it was like a home from 1920. So we like restored this house and it had all this beautiful trim and it was, it had some Victorian elements, like really old kind of, you know, just like all of these awesome touches and like basically all the foundation was shit. We had to rewire it, replumb it, like all this crap. And it was still super drafty. The insulation was so bad. And like, I'm just like, damn, like I started brewing this idea of making a new home that looked like an old house, but it had all the best technology and, you know, building practices. And it was so sturdy and, you know, it was like the envelope was super tight to the elements and like all that stuff. Right. Um, so then, <clears throat> um, this is also a good point. I linked up with a company called Joseph design Build. They're like one of the biggest design build firms in Austin. They do like, you know, tens of millions of volume a year. And, I just hit them up. And they, do they just do residential homes? Yes. Okay. Residential. They, they do some like, my, like commercial stuff. Like they might do like an office building here or there, but like 98% residential. Okay. I hit them up, the owner, like this was like shit, I guess like three years ago now, maybe even a little more. And I was like, Hey man, you know, I live in the neighborhood. I see your house is going up everywhere. Like, I'm, I'm doing a bunch of remodels. Like, you know, I'd love to just meet up. And if you have time, like pick your brain. And he was like, okay, let's talk shop. We end up becoming super close. He like ends up being like a big brother kind of mentor type figure to me. And I'm telling him about the idea of like building a new Victorian house. And he's like, dude, why don't you let us do the design? And I was like, what? Like, really? Um, you know, he's like, yeah. I mean, we have three architects. Like, you know, I know it's not like our style, but we have our own style. We could do any style. And I was like, no shit. And he like, is kind of like me, like tatted up, loves horror. Like, so we geeked out on this idea together. I sent them like all of these detailed like visions of the steel walls and the clawfoot tub and the front porch and like the cupola with the curved roof. And like, they did the most incredible job of taking my like, just brain vomits of like all these ideas and putting it all together into this beautiful masterpiece. Yeah. And um, honestly, I've just fallen in love, dude. It's like the first time in my life I don't have a client because this is a spec home, which means I buy the dirt, I build the house, and then I sell it. So it was like 100% my creativity. Like, I made the judgment call on everything. And it was like the most fucking liberating, like, valuable experience I've had. It feels like, you know, like raising a child. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it was also really nerve wracking because I'm like, what if people hate this? You know, like it's everyone loves these white, like modern boxes and I'm putting up like a black castle looking house, you know? Um, and the response has just been incredible. I think yeah. everyone is like loving that we've like taken risks. And I mean, like, 
you know, there's some haters and it's like, it can be polarizing. I know that, but like, it's just like so validating that like so many people think this house is awesome. Yeah, dude, the house is fucking incredible. Much like you, man, I, uh, I, I'm, I love horror movies. Um, so I love like just fucking weird, dark shit. I grew up a huge Adams family fan. So, um, you know, obviously I know you guys have referenced the Adams family a couple of times on your socials and I just, I love it, man. The house is great. Couple questions for you about the house. Um, was there ever a part of you, and I'm sure people have asked you this, but like when it's done, was there ever a part of you that's like, I kind of want to live here. I kind of want to. Yes, yes. And honestly, like I probably would if it hadn't been for like. So remember, when I moved here in like 17, um, I bought a house right in Bolden on Westbury Street, so super popular area. Um, we remodeled it like super cute. People fell in love with it. We sold it for. 450k over asking in june so like it was like the single most like best investment i've ever made in my life just buying that house fixing it up selling it um i immediately bought this like legacy lot in barton hills that backs up to the green belt it looks like fucking lion king in my backyard so like this is now where i know like my dream home is gonna be yeah that really is the only reason why i haven't moved into the modern victorian um, yeah, and honestly, just to even go deeper. I remember like the first day it went live uh, on the market. This dude pulls up. He gets out like he's got like a Balenciaga shirt on. He comes out of a Lamborghini Urus, like all blacked out. And like I saw him, at, you know, I was leaving as he was coming to meet with my realtors, and my fucking heart sank, dude. I was like, holy fuck, like this guy can actually buy this house. I have to actually give this house away. Yeah. And I get emotional, you know, um, that's how attached to it. I am, but like, it's also like the whole purpose of it too. For sure. You know? So like, yeah, it's, it's a double edged sword, but it's also like, that's what it's all always been destined for. Yeah. Is that house still available or is it sold yet? No, it's still available. Yeah. um, We have a ton of interest and I think, um, everyone's just kind of like on hold now we've gotten like super super close yeah but um you know we put it on december so we're approaching like you know the better half of a month and a half and um i was expecting it to be like you know a three to six month process anyways i have like i'm in no rush and like like i said i'm super emotionally tied to this so like i'm not letting it go for some deal you know yeah totally yeah i was gonna say you know in a once it went live, if it had sold right away, has it probably on the back end kind of indirectly helped though, because you've been able to kind of go over there and film more content and stuff like if it had sold right away, I it would have affected your content. I'm assuming, right. In regards to, yeah, this is like the best marketing for my career I've ever done. I've already gotten like three or four amazing custom home clients from them seeing it. Um, all the exposure of like it going viral, like, it's probably gotten like 15 million views on like a few different videos that have went like super viral. Like my socials have been exploding. I'm going up by like almost a thousand every couple days right now. Um, yeah. So I'm really trying to use this to like piggyback, like, you know, just like, <clears throat> I mean, shit, if this becomes like a new concept, like it was like modern farmhouse. Like if this like modern Victorian became a thing and like, some motherfucker in like Beverly Hills. I'm like, he's like, Hey, could you build this house here? I'd be like, fuck yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's what I like. 
like really envision this of just like going wherever it takes me. Yeah, for sure. It's kind of just like a like a trend. It's kind of changing the trend a little bit. Like you're saying, you know, after a while, things start to get kind of too uniform with just all the modern farmhouses because everyone's kind of just going for that look. And obviously, you know, I don't know jack shit about this stuff. So do you know why that trend is so popular right now? It seems like because after a while, it starts to all the houses start to look the same. And that's why I really like the modern Victorian because it just went completely against the grain And what ends up happening is, like you said, it could just take a few people with deep pockets to go, hey, I want a house like that. And then all of a sudden the culture shifts again. Yeah. You know, and like, you know, honestly, I think, you know, like someone replicating or like duplicating or copying is like the biggest form of flattery. I would love nothing more than this to be more popular. Um, Yeah. If anything, I just want people to like really know that like you can take risks. You don't have to do the same shit. Here's what my theory is. With the explosion, I mean, you'll see like, dude, like you said, it's like you have to survive as a business. You have to be on social. Like there's like mortgage brokers. There's like car salesmen. Like like everyone has like they're doing reels. Like every real estate agent needs to be doing reels. It's almost like how it goes, right? So what's yeah. happened is this like globalization of like Instagram of like, this is in and you see like every restaurant they have this like industrial chic vibe you know what i mean like steel and glass and subway tile and like i think that like a lot of that stuff is like it makes trends just spread really fast and what happens is the people that like you know they're not in the industry and they just like they they really keep seeing this and they like it you know the modern farmhouse has been fucking dead for like years bro like and it's still here it's still like people that aren't quite caught up you know which is okay but like you know for to me it's just like god i'm so bored of it yeah it's it's so dead and and another reason is a lot of the ways of building in that way they easily help you like build things simply with like cheaper materials like lap siding and like there's a there's a a siding pattern called board and batten which is basically just like flat boards <clears throat> like it's flat on the bottom then you put like strips of trim across it and it gives you that kind of like past mark like almost quilted pattern and like 95 percent of the houses are board and batten or lap siding you know and then you might see some stucco yeah i think people are just they think something works and they're just afraid to go out of that mold because they're afraid that they're not gonna like sell as fast or makes the amount of money right yeah well it's interesting because that that explains why those houses get put up so quick too i mean they can throw i mean those houses get thrown up fast man and yeah that totally makes sense yeah it's easy you just put like a you know it's a triangle shaped house because like in farmhouse like gables like and dormers are like you know it's the end all be all so you just make like a house that looks like a little kind of like farmy industrial like it's just like a triangle and, you know, try to be a little minimal with it and like make everything white. Yeah. And, there you go. and then sell it to somebody for $2 million and they're like, Hey, this is a deal. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> People pay that all day long honestly, for those houses. What, what's happened is the market was so hot and so hard to get into, especially in like cities like Austin or like San Francisco where like the geography is so small, like, that it creates this crazy demand and like our codes are so hard to build in that you can't keep up with supply. Right. So like Mm -hmm. even up till 
like this past summer, boring modern farmhouse bullshit was selling at a premium. Now, interest rates have gone up, and all of these houses that are like, you know, they, they were like basically taking advantage of people back when the market was crazy. A lot of them have pulled them off the market because their value, like they can't even sell them for like a million dollars less than they saw. Oh, it's so crazy, dude. I know. Can I, can I ask you about that? And I don't, I don't know if it, if it benefits you to talk about this stuff because you're in the industry, but it's like, where do you, where do you kind of see things going in the next couple of years? Do you think the market drops even more or do you think it, no, man. I mean, I'm biased, right? Uh, yeah. So you can just leave it. But like, what I honestly think is we're in the eye of a hurricane right now. Like, everyone is on the sidelines at pause because they're hoping that prices will drop more. And dude, people always do this. Like, right now is the best fucking time to buy because there are people that are desperate that like want to move stuff and you're getting the deals, right? Mm-hmm. But what's happened is, again, Austin. The supply and demand, there is not enough houses for how many jobs are moving here. Our code makes it so hard to build new houses. Everyone's waiting on the sidelines. It's like a slingshot. We've been slowly pulling this rubber band back over the winter. I think in spring, it's going to fucking explode. And then everyone's going to get the green light. And everyone at the same time, just like everyone at the same time they're not buying, everyone at the same time is going to buy. And I think it's going to be another big price hike or at least go back to where we were. Yeah, that's interesting, man. Yeah, there's a uh, Austin's not a big city land wise. There's a lot. It's a lot of fucking people crammed into a small space. People forget how small of a city it is. Yeah, it's not like Houston or Dallas. Um, John, I want to. By the way, I thoroughly enjoyed this interview. I want to ask you a couple just quick fun questions before we get out of here. But uh, like I always ask everybody this: like, what were some of your favorite movies growing up? And uh, do you have like a favorite band or like a favorite album from your that you yeah. like of all time? Um, okay, so favorite movies. Um, I saw The Exorcist when I was six. Dope. And it kind of like traumatized me, but like I was obsessed with it. You know, like it was just like something about it. Just like you know, again, it's like it made like you know Freddy Krueger and like Jason and Michael Myers like almost seemed not scary to me you know totally. like those were definitely my favorites i have a freddy krueger tattoo um i love just like anything like really creepy and kind of like deranged you know i, I think it's just so like fun and honestly comforting in like a weird way like it's almost yeah. like i don't know it may, maybe it's actually fucked me up a bit. <laughs> <laughs> no the Exorcist. it's funny man the exorcist is one of my favorite movies of all time also oh, I, in my opinion awesome. it's like uh, not by a long shot like that that movie just supersedes any other horror film in my opinion especially for its time dude i can't believe that movie was made in like 1973 i think i know so and it's still fucking scary it's still like it's aged so well yes so yeah um and then like band wise um i was obsessed with metallica like there was probably a year or two where like maybe i only listened to metallica um, and Tool, Metallica and Tool are probably my two favorite bands. Yeah, yeah, man, you got good music selection too, for sure. Yeah, I love Metallica. I was just fucking now listening. To- like, I really love like um, hardcore dubstep. Like, yeah, that's kind of like 
you know, it's like really good to work to because there's like no words and like it's super like sporadic and just loud and like I love bass and like just obnoxiousness. So yeah, <laughs> that should wake you up real quick. Fuck yeah. Um, hey, John, I, I just want to say thanks again for doing this. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I know it ran a little long, but um, yeah, best of luck to you in the future. And, you know, we'll be in touch. Thanks, dude. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And thank you so much for having me on. I'd love to come back sometime. Yeah, for sure. Take care. All right, later, bro. Trapped in Austin Podcast.